chapter 6. If you will go there, if you open your Bibles at Galatians chapter 6, we have been going through a series entitled Free to Live, and we've gone through every chapter of the letter of Galatians, and we've learned through the first four chapters that Paul is dealing with the way we think about Christianity. He says Christianity is not about rules of do's and don'ts. Christianity is not about, you know, uh, following a certain rules, a rule for life. It's more so about a relationship with God. And out of that relationship you live. And because there are natural boundaries to relationship, we respond to God and his love and his grace and his mercy in a way that honors him. But everything is a response to relationship, not a response to a law. We discovered in Galatians chapter 1 through 4 that if we try to add anything to salvation other than what Jesus has done, that we're adding, it's a whole nother gospel. Jesus has done everything that we need for salvation, and we can live in that freedom, and we can enjoy that relationship, and we can enjoy forgiveness, and we can enjoy our adoption, and we can enjoy the promises of God because he paid the price for us to enjoy them, right? So take it in, receive the love of God. He wants to love you, wants to give you that, so we can walk in the freedom of the goodness and mercy and favor and grace of God. We learn in Galatians chapter 5 that God didn't set us free so that we can be slaves. And that means I'm not going to be a slave to a law or religion, but I'm also not going to be a slave to sin. God didn't set me free so that now I can go live in sin without any control in my life that leads me to more slavery, right? But rather, now I can live according to the Spirit. And when the Spirit is alive in me and working in me, it's obvious because there's patience, there's kindness, there's gentleness, there's self-control. But when the works of the flesh is in me, when I'm operating in the flesh, it's obvious because I'm divisive, I'm a gossiper, I'm a slanderer, I'm immoral, I entertain myself with the things that are not of God, I'm a complainer, right? So it's very obvious, the Bible says, when you're following the lead of the Holy Spirit or when you're following the lead of the flesh. As believers, we have a choice. We have a choice. We can choose to follow the flesh or choose to follow the lead of the Holy Spirit, to respond to the person of the Holy Spirit. And then Galatians chapter 6 tells us about the Christian life. In a short, in several verses, Paul says, look, now that you know that you're saved by grace and Jesus done it all, now that you know that you shouldn't use your freedom for an opportunity to sin, chapter 6 does this. This is how you should live. This is how you should live. Let's read that chapter. Brothers and sisters, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked, for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So I'm supposed to do good to who? 
to some of you, just some of you. Oh, everyone, okay. Man, right? To everyone, and especially those who are of the household of faith. See, with w- what large letters I'm writing to you, it was often that people would write for Paul. Paul wouldn't write necessarily all his letters. He would dictate them, and someone would write for them, but he felt so passionate that he needed to write this himself. And he's going to reiterate something that he's reiterated over and over again in chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. And that's this. He says, it is those who want... Uh, uh, It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised. In other words, it is those who operate in the flesh and who are not following the lead of the Spirit when they're they're trying to make you follow rules that God does not expect from you. Okay? That's what he's saying there. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may be not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. In other words, they're doing this because they don't want to follow Jesus fully and pay the price. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's stop right there. We can boast about one thing in life. We can boast about the cross of Jesus Christ. I can boast of what Jesus has done for me. I I can make much of what the Lord has done. By which the world has been crucified to me and I To the world, for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. All right. Father, thank you for your word that we just read. Speak it today into our lives, and do a mighty work in all of us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. What a powerful way to make a case for what you truly believe. Paul, Paul makes a case not only for what God has done in his life and the true authentic gospel, But then when they question whether he has the authority to preach this gospel or whether he's preaching the truth, he basically tells them, talk to the hand because I ain't listening. Anybody ever had somebody tell you that? Remember that? That's kind of an old saying. Back in the days when people were tired of you, they would say, what you say? Talk to the hand. (laughs) Right? Remember that? And Paul basically in a certain way did that by saying what? He said this. He said If anybody wants to question me or my authority of the gospel that I preach, they can look at the marks on my body. Wow. (laughs) What a way to shut people up. What a powerful way. And what does Paul tell us about this Christian life and how it is that we're supposed to live it? And what I want to do is I want to go from the end all the way to the beginning verse. But, uh, But first, let's start with the end, and that's this. Paul says this, the only thing that matters is a new creation. So as Christians, what are we to understand? This is something that you and I have to live into, something that we have to grow into, something that we have to understand, that if you believe in Jesus, if you put your trust in Jesus for salvation, if you've asked him to forgive you of your sins, and you've made a commitment to follow Jesus, you are no longer of the flesh. 
Yes, you have a flesh, but you don't belong to this world or to the demonic powers that rule this world. According to Scripture, you are a new creation. Jesus has given you a new heart, and he's awakening you new desires so that you would follow after his will. And now the flesh is there, and the desires of the flesh are there, but also the desires of the spirit are there. And you can choose the spirit instead of the desires of the flesh because you are a new creation. And when Jesus looks at you, he doesn't look at nationality. He doesn't look at disabilities. He doesn't look at your finances. doesn't matter where you come from, who your daddy was, who your granddaddy was. He just looks at you on the account of how you respond to him. Some of us may be here, and we may be depending on the faith of our grandparents or our parents. And we think, well, I'm safe because, you know, my grandmama was this, and my great-grandmama was that. And my no, that doesn't matter. doesn't matter where you come from. doesn't matter, uh, you know, it's beneficial. It's a blessing to have a Christian heritage. But what Jesus is looking at is this. Are you responding to him in faith? If you respond to Jesus in faith, you're a new creation. And not only a new creation, the Bible says you are the true Israel. What does it mean to be the true Israel? Obviously, Israel still exists today. Jewish people are still here today. Obviously, God still has a plan for Jewish people today. Obviously, God died on the cross for Jewish people. So God is not done with the Jewish nation. But it does mean the, this, that the same Jesus that the Jews need is the Jesus that we need, and we can all be a part of the family of God if we respond in faith to Jesus Christ. Amen? That's the good news. And if we respond in faith to Jesus Christ, it makes us a part of the spiritual Israel, not the worldly Israel, but the spiritual Israel, which means this, all of the promises that God gave Abraham and all of his people in the Old Testament and the New Testament for his kingdom, they are yours. They are yours. Now, that doesn't mean that you're going to receive the same thing that I receive, but it does mean that when it comes to God's will in my life, when it comes to God's purpose for my life, Whenever it's time for me to call upon those promises, they're available to me because God's given them to me for me to do his perfect will, whatever his perfect will is. You understand what I'm saying? Everybody's calls different. Everybody's walk different. And we'll need different things at different times. But God has given us everything we need because we are his people who have his promises. And that's why we have memorized every single promise in the Bible, right? You got them all memorized? Verse, scripture? Come on, let's go. Do you know the promises of God for you? Do you know what God says about you? Are you memorizing them? I, I do encourage that. Memorize some scripture. It ain't going to do you bad. It ain't going to do you bad. You know? Uh, if you consider the church today, I believe the church is anemic today. I believe the church is weak today. I believe the church is not walking in all the victory that God intends for the church to walk in because we don't know his promises for us. And we don't allow his promises to really be a part of our identity. It's so important. They, they, they sell these books. Go to the Christian bookstore. Go online and find the Bible promise book. It's a book that has all these promises. And you can just read the promises of God. Real easy. You can find it at Goodwill probably for a buck. You can probably find it for a buck to five dollars. 
It's so important to just be acquainted with the Word of God. Get your Bible. Get a good highlighter, right? Get a good pen that you can highlight. Begin to memorize the Word of God and let the promises deal with you and come in so that when you go through storms, you can call on God's Word for your life. It's so important. I want you to just think about what God's promises mean for you. If God's promises are yours, it means this. God's provision. God will be your provider. It means God will show you favor. It means that you are adopted. It means that God has set your course so that you can win. It means that God works everything for good, even the trials and the storms that you go through. And even when you fall short and get back up again, God is constantly looking at you and says, okay, my mercies are new for you every morning, and I am working out restoration. I'm working out victory. I'm working out success through my eyes for you. Me and Brian are excited about this. Do you, do you understand how powerful this is? You know, David, to look at the Old Testament, David walked up to get some sandwiches, some bologna sandwiches to his brothers who were fighting the war, right? Or whatever they ate back then, bologna, I don't know, sardines. I don't know what's wrong with Ben. <laughs> and brother, you got friends. You don't have to suffer like that. But, <laughs> you know, but, you know, um, but, you know, here he is, he's taking sandwiches to his brothers who are at the front lines, and there's this big dude named Goliath, and he's punking the entire Israel army. Saying, so you, you guys are punks, none of you would fight me. Come on, where's the mighty warrior? Aren't you the, where's your God now? And David, notice what David does there. He's not only angry at what Goliath is saying, but he says, this is my opportunity. He goes to King Saul and he says, or he goes to the people and says, hey, what's going to happen to the guy who beats that fool? Can you tell me? What's going to happen to the guy who takes care of him? Why? Because David knows that it has already been concluded. It's already been destined for that man to lose. Which means the only thing that needs to happen is for someone to step out in faith and get their victory. It's already theirs. Right? So David's like, if they don't want it, I'll take it. But, by the way, what is it that they do get? I'm going. These suckers, I don't know what they're doing, but I'm going to get this one. And he stands before Goliath with five stones. For what purpose? Not so that we can say, man, he must have really, know, he really knew how to use those stones. Yeah, that's part of it. God prepared him in the field. But the real deal is this. To God be the glory. To God be the glory. Why am I telling you this? How do you see your storms? How do you see your trials? How do you see your giants? I believe that you're responding to your giants. Your response to the giants is directly connected to your connection to God's promises. If you know who you are and what God's promised, your giants, they're not your defeat. They're your opportunity. If you know who you are, your giants are not your defeat. They're your opportunity. You want to know it, why? And this may sound like it's a self-help book, but it's not. It's just scripture. You're a winner. All God does is win. And he's your God. And he lives in you. So when your enemy stands up, you can say to the enemy, you know what, enemy? All I do is win. Greater is he that is in me than him that's in the world. There is no weapon formed against me that will prosper. I know who I am. We have to know 
that we're a new creation, that we are the Israel of God. His promises are for us, not against us. I do my Christian walk not from failure, from victory. I come out of the gate a winner. Do you understand that reality? You come out winning. We're going to have to have deliverance or something because somebody needs to, some people need to get more excited about this. God is good. The second thing that Paul tells us in the scripture is this, or, or that I believe that we need to point out here in this portion of scripture. Number one, we're a new creation in Christ. His promises are ours. We can take them. We can walk in them. Here's, here's a major thing that we believers need to do. We need to stop comparing, and we have to start restoring. Okay? We need to stop comparing, and we need to start restoring. Look at Galatians 6, verse 1 on down. Brothers, sisters, if anyone is caught up in any transgression, you who are spiritual shall restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. When the Bible talks about being caught here, it's talking about what sin does. Sin is like a a bait and hook, right? Fish just sees the warm, but then you're hooked. And that happens to us. We're walking with the Lord. Sin comes. Temptation comes. Sometimes we fall short. We bite on that warm, and then we're hooked. And of course, just like the fish, we didn't know that there was a hook attached to that, or else we would have made a different decision. But so is sin. We always think that sin is enjoyable, and we s- never are able to understand the full consequence of our sins. And what happens to us is we bite down on sin, sin bites down on us, and we find ourselves in an abyss saying, man, I, know, I didn't know it was going to be this big or this big a deal, and I, I can't believe I'm finding myself in this place. And it happens. And what Paul is saying is this, if anyone is caught in any transgression or sin or offense you who are spiritual shall restore him in the spirit of gentleness in other words when you see that that's happened to your brother and your sister when you see that that's happened you with grace you with gentleness your job is not to condemn your job is to restore your job is to restore You know what I see the church do a lot of times? (laughs) Can you believe he did that? That's terrible. He was supposed to be a Christian. I don't do that. (laughs) I would never do that. Well, he's supposed to be a Christian. Look on TV, and he had that massive fall. Can you believe that happened? He embezzled the church. He had an affair. He did all these things, so that's terrible. Well, I'm not, you know, I don't go to church, but I would never do that. We justify ourselves by others' failures. We justify ourselves by others' walk. And you know what that does? It helps us to silent the voice of the Holy Spirit, which is no help at all. And we keep deceiving ourselves into thinking that we're walking upright with God by looking at those who have fallen or those who have failures or shortcomings and saying, well, we're better than them, so it must be okay. The Bible calls us to restore with gentleness and it says this you who are spiritual should restore with gentleness now who are the ones who are spiritual 
Well, we should know this because we just went through Galatians chapter 5. Spiritual are those people who respond, those people who respond to the person of the Holy Spirit. And how do we know that we respond to the person of the Holy Spirit? Because there's fruit, there's patience, there's kindness, there's gentleness, there's meekness, there's self-control. So therefore, when my brother or my sister falls and I see that, I'm not going to judge them because I know that my job is not to judge but to restore. And I know that a true work of restoration takes time. And if I'm not spiritual, I don't have patience. And if I don't have patience, I can't restore a thing. Anybody with me? Anybody ever restore a piece of furniture? Guess who doesn't like restoring furniture? <laughs> you know, it takes forever. My wife bought this beautiful piece. Uh, what do you call those? Uh, vanities? A vanity? Wooden wheels and everything. 100 years old. It had like three layers of cake paint. It was awful. But she had to start sanding and sanding and sanding and sanding. It took her like six months. She sanded, she sanded you know, by hand all the little details that was in it perfected, you know, worked on the wheels and everything. And I was like, girl, put that in the burn pile and just give glory to Jesus. Let that go. Let that go. It's time to let that go. You know, but she didn't. And, you know, a lot of times I start working on something and I just start, I, I can do this. I can do this. No, I can't. Get out of here. You know, it's like, I don't have any patience for it. Restoration is tough, right? How much more when it comes to you and I? We're, look, we're talking about a piece of furniture. Being gentle with a piece of furniture so that it could be restored. How much more gentle do we have to be with each other? We have to bear with one another. You know what that doesn't mean? That doesn't mean put up with my sin. That doesn't mean ignore my sin. And that doesn't mean be okay with my sin. That's actually the opposite. It's actually saying, you know what, brother? I know that I can act like it's not happening and just worship Jesus and act like everything is okay when you continue to gossip and slander and speak badly about those who surround you, but I love you too much. Come on, let's do something about this. We've got to change this. This is not what God wants for you. You're bigger than this. I know it. You're an awesome man of God. Let's get out of that. Let's stop that bad habit. Anybody with me? You ever had that conversation with somebody? Because if you haven't, you need to start doing the kingdom. There is no way... You can be around Christians and not have that conversation with one Christian. We need to start calling our brothers and sisters up. Hey, brother. Hey, sister. I just keep noticing that there's that pessimism, that complaining spirit. God didn't call you to that, and I'm not judging because I know I fall into it. So let's hold each other accountable. How do, how do we break free from this? Come on. You don't love each other if you don't have those conversations. And the reality of the matter is this. Before we can get that into that conversation, we have to be a com committed to the truth of we believe in community. And we have to be committed to take the time to build community. You can't just do that hopping from one church to another. Okay, pastor, just move on. How? Bear one another's burdens. Because in doing so, we fulfill the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? Love one another. Love others as you love yourself. The Bible says the world will know that we belong to each other by the love that we have for one another. You know what I realized? You know, when I used to see that and read that, the world would know that we belong to them by the love we have for one another. Oh, I used to think the world is going to look at the church. 
And the world's going to say, aren't they amazing? Look at how they love each other. Look at how they walk in perfect harmony. Look at how everything just seems so perfect in that place. Uh, uh, uh. And I, I can almost just see, and that's not what it says. The, l- the world is going to know that you belong to me by the love you have for one another. And you know, I see perfect love displayed in weakness. Jesus loved me perfectly when I was a sinner. So church people are broken. And I believe the world will look inside and say, that dude did that to this dude, and this dude forgave him. I can't believe that. And this person was this in the world. They came in the church, and look at how they receive him. That's crazy. And when they see the love, not a love that ignores sin, not a love that's comfortable with sin, but also uh, uh, not a love that judges and condemns, but a love that says, you can come in, you can be a part, you can be redeemed, you can be restored. When they see that, the world will know who we belong to. We have to stop comparing and start restoring. We need to bear one another's burdens. And as we look at that, it also says, for if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. In other words, in other words, it's saying, I have to bear my burdens. It's, what is it? Do I bear each other? Do we bear each other's burdens? Or do I bear my own burden? This is confusing. What are you talking about here, Paul? Which one am I supposed to do? Paul says, do both. Paul says, do both. Number one, don't compare yourself to your brother. You don't know where he's at and what I'm doing in his heart. You don't got time to pay attention to him because there's all kinds of issues that I'm dealing with you about. As you look at yourself, take responsibility for yourself before me and follow my lead. And as you do life that way, be mindful of your brothers and sisters because they're going to need your help. You know what happens is some people read this scripture and they say, well, you know, I don't go to that church because nobody was bearing my burden with me and that's why I keep in the same place. Uh, no, you know, I just... You know, nobody loves me enough to bear my own burden. Because people can detect when you don't want to carry your own weight. We have to carry. We got to respond to the call of God. I can counsel. I can can preach. We can do worship. We can do deliverance service. Break out the anointing oil. We can do all kinds of things till we're blue in the face. If we're not willing to respond to the personal Holy Spirit, Obedience is what matters. And as we obey and come to grips with the fact we need to obey, we're all broken. Together we can do this. God does a powerful thing. God does a powerful, powerful thing. We ought to examine ourselves through the person of the Holy Spirit because all of us will have to stand before God for our works. Now let me just say this. There is this reality that we don't talk about much in the church, and that is that as believers, we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ, not for judgment for salvation and for condemnation, but rather for the works that we will do. Here is the blessing. Now that we're saved, everything that we do, we get to do it unto God. And what the Bible tells us, it's like heavenly currency. Everything that I invest in the kingdom of God, God sees. And so I do everything so that God can see it, not so that others can see it. If others can see it, then I'll get the reward of others. But it's much better to be rewarded by God. 
And so someone once says, I can't take anything with me to heaven, but I can send stuff ahead of time. When I love people, when I invest in the kingdom, when I bear with the other's burdens, when I'm a blessing here, I'm not looking necessarily to be, a, uh, to be blessed by you. I'm looking for God to be honored. I'm not looking for the approval of man. I'm looking for God to be pleased. As a matter of fact, a verse that I've remembered and I keep in my mind is Luke 6, 26. Woe unto you when everybody thinks favorable of you, because so they did the false prophets. I say, God, I don't want to be a false prophet. Somebody's got to not like me. Somebody's got to not like me. they got to hate me. Somebody, because if I'm following Jesus, somebody's not going to like what I'm doing. And i got to be okay with that. got to be okay with that. And we live in a culture that doesn't want to be okay with that. But following Jesus, following Jesus means I seek for his affirmation in my life. Comparison is the killer of the kingdom of God in your life. We cannot, ask, we cannot assess our spiritual well-being by comparing ourselves to others. May our affirmation come from God. Would you stand with me today? We'll close there and we'll finish this message next week. Hallelujah. Restoration. God is the God who restores. I wonder if there's anybody thankful that when God saw you, he didn't say, you know, put that in the burn pile. No, instead he said, I'm going to work on you a little at a time. Anybody thankful? Praise God. Praise God. Praise Lord. Praise you, O God. The Lord is gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in love toward you. Can you begin to give thanks to God for who he is toward you? Hallelujah. We thank you, Lord Jesus. We bless your holy name. We worship you, O oh God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, today as we turn to you, there's two major things that we need to commit to. we got to commit to knowing who we are. New creation, which means that all of your promises are ours. we got to commit to that walk so that we would not walk weak, feeble Christianity that doesn't represent you or your kingdom. And secondly, God, we got to start restoring and stop comparing. There's too much brokenness around us for us to, to to compare ourselves. It's time for us to be the voice, the hands of restoration. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name. With every head bowed and every eye closed here today, I just want to make a couple of altar calls today. And uh, I'll have Matt just play some worship music there if you could help me there, brother. And I'll have some altar workers here at the altar. If you would come up, and it, um, the altar workers. And it, as the Lord impresses on you, if you feel led to come up to the altar, we'd like to welcome you. We'd love to pray for you. But maybe you're here today, and you're saying, you know what, I realize that I'm not walking in my full identity. I'm not receiving 
all that God has for me. And today I want to say yes to God and to all of his promises. And today I, I, I make a commitment that I will be about learning the promises of God. Would you raise your hand right where you're at if that's you? Amen. Amen. Lord, right now, for my brothers and my sisters in Christ who are here, they raise their hands and they're saying, I know that in you I'm a new creation. I, wanna, I want to be about your promises and live a life, Father, where, where I am walking in my identity and stop believing the lies of the enemy over me. Today, I make a commitment to see that when I wake up in the morning, I wake up to win because my God is a winner. I wake up to conquer because my God is a conqueror. So, Father, I thank you for that. And I thank you for washing our minds from the lies of the enemy and helping us walk in that freedom. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Maybe you're here today and you're saying, Pastor, I want to stop comparing and I want to start restoring. Many of you say, you know, when you compare yourself, you do it to the negative. You say, man, I'm no good because this person's able to do this. This person's here, and they're the same age. Or they, you know, I should be there, but I'm not. And I must not be good. I must not be good enough. And you compare to your own detriment. God needs you. You need to stop that. God wants you to stop that. He loves you right where you're at. He's got a plan for your life right where you're at. And it's time to begin rejoicing over where God has you instead of focusing on where God has others. Maybe you're here today and you're saying, you know, you're, it's the opposite. You realize, you know, I had this pride, this arrogant attitude that I had arrived at some level of maturity because I wasn't dealing with the same things others were. And I realized that my faith walk was based on others. And today I want to say, Lord, give me focus to focus on you on your Holy Spirit. If that's you and you realize the comparison has stifled your walk, would you raise your hand right where you're at? And let's just give that to God. Lord, we want to be done with comparisons. Sick and tired of comparisons. Sick and tired of comparing myself to others. Comparing this ministry to others. Comparing the call of God and our lives to others. We're done with that. And we come to you and we say, Lord God, we're done with comparisons. We're going to walk in the freedom of your Holy Spirit, obeying the voice of your Holy Spirit, trusting your lead. Thank you, Lord, for freedom. Freedom to live, God. We declare it today. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Two things. Two more things. And here's the altar call. Persevere with me for a couple more things. God is a God of restoration. If you have not given your life to Jesus today, I want you to know the truth. If you turn to God with your weakness and with your sins and with your shortcomings, you're going to see that God's going to come in with a scalpel. Very slowly, he's going to love you, and he's going to restore your life. And what the enemy has taken from you, he will restore. He will restore to you what the enemy has robbed you of. He'll give you peace. He'll give you joy. He'll give you contentment. He'll give you hope. And what the world gives you, I mean, what the Lord gives you, the world cannot take away. What the Lord gives you, the world cannot take away. Today can be a day of new beginning for you. And we like to welcome you into this family of faith and let you know that you too can be a part of the kingdom. You too can be a new creation. You too can be saved. If that's you today, right where you're at, would you raise your hand? If you need to give your life to Jesus today, amen. I see your hand, brother. Amen. Amen. 
Hallelujah. Nobody praying alone. Everybody repeat after me. Father God, I give you my life. Take my heart and cleanse it. Give me your desires. Fill me with your hope. And give me your vision for life. I surrender to you. I call you my Savior. And I call you my Lord. Have your way in me. In Jesus' name. Amen. Can we clap our hands and thank God for salvation today? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for salvation. If you've given your life to God today and it's the first time, I'd love for you to meet with me or with one of the peoples here. We'd love to get your information and celebrate what God is doing in your life. Everybody come up here at this time. We're going to close very differently. Would you come up here? Would you all come up here to the altar? Don't be afraid of the middle. Come on in. I'm done preaching, so I don't have much spit left. You can come. <laughs> I'm hoping that you can see me when I say this. You're valuable to God. You're valuable to God. The Lord loves you. You're valuable. The world is broken. God wants to restore you. God wants to restore you and use you as a tool of restoration for the world. Be a restorer, not a destroyer. Be a restorer of hope, of joy, not a destroyer. What you say matters. God wants to use you. You make a commitment today with me and you're saying, God, use me to be a restorer. Right now, let's raise our hands before God. Some of you are remembering that we're, you were six years old and somebody spoke a word of life and it brought you out of darkness. Someone here. Someone here, when you were a child, someone spoke life. Someone in your adulthood, someone spoke life and it changed life for you forever. God is saying, now I want to use you to speak life and to restore life in the name of Jesus. Go in the authority of the kingdom. Go in the name of Jesus Christ. And may God use you to restore the broken. May God use you to bring life where there is death. May resurrection power change the world that surrounds you. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. 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 Praise God. Amen. And God bless you today. God bless you today. Oh, thank you, Lord. Amen. God bless you, Lord.